Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Moves Podcast, where we talk about how to develop happy, healthy, resilient children into happy, healthy, resilient adults. I'm your host, Dr. Debbie Ray. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Right Moves Podcast. I'm so excited to have Dr. Kathy Ramstetter and Dr. Bob Murray with me today. They are wonderful colleagues and really good friends of mine through motives to provide ways to promote the child's right to play. Dr. Kathy Ramstetter is a school health consultant with Successful Healthy Children, founding member of Global Recess Alliance, and co-author of American Academy of Pediatrics Policy on Recess. In October of 2022, International Play Association, USA, conferred the Doctor of Play to Kathy, recognizing her work advocating for children's right to play. Dr. Robert Murray is a pediatrician specializing in gastroenterology and nutrition. He spent 10 years on the executive committee of the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on School Health. In 2013, he and Dr. Kathy Ramstetter co-authored the policy statement, The Crucial Role of Recess. Our conversation today will be all about the need for recess, how recess impacts children's health, and next steps to restore proper child development through recess back into our culture. All right. So welcome, uh, Dr. Ramstetter and Dr. Murray. It's so good to have y'all on today. Um, You know, I've given your bios and all, but I'd really like to start with just a little bit about yourselves that we don't see in your bios or that we don't know about you in just in the professional life. So uh, anything fun that we'd like to learn from you today before we get started? I can let Bob go first. <laughs> well, I I uh, got interested in um, schools as the obesity crisis began to come in in the 1990s. And it, um, it struck me at the time that a lot of school policy and what's being done in schools in terms of physical activity and nutrition could make a difference. And so I got involved, even though my field is gastroenterology and nutrition, I got, I started to get involved in schools. And so since then I've stayed connected with the American Academy of Pediatrics in terms of school nutrition, particularly. Awesome. And that's always nice to know because the topic today is going to be, you know, right up y'all's alley, right? With all this stuff. (laughs) All right, Kathy. So um, I actually got involved with the work that I do around recess and schools when I went back to school at the age of 40 to get my PhD and I wanted to work with schools and I was really looking at physical activity because when I went back to school the obesity crisis was roaring and we had just the United States had just passed the wellness policy requirement in 2004 and I went back in 06 and my dad's a retired pediatrician, and he and Bob knew one another through Ohio connections with the AAP. And in 2007, I was interested in my work. Well, what am I going to do for my dissertation? And Dr. Joe Thompson was a guest speaker in the state of Ohio, invited by the Ohio AAP. And Dr. Joe Thompson is from the state of Arkansas. And he was one of the first states, their state under Governor Huckabee, where they actually did a two-page wellness policy that was statewide. And they were able to really move the needle statewide on kids, on the the prevalence of obesity and the rate of obesity in schools. And he came to speak and I met Bob and I was invited to come to the Ohio chapter of Home and School Health Committee and 
part of one of our projects we worked on was recess, which began in 2007. And Bob and I worked on that together. And it's pretty much my work since then. I know, you know, it's such a small world and we say this all the time. I mean, it's six degrees of separation, no matter where we are and what we do. And even though I haven't been in the same circle with Bob, you know, we've still been in the same circle. I mean, we're still doing stuff around recess and play and obesity and health markers of kids. And, you know, how do we, how do we change the needle? How do we shift it? Um, But, you know, we're going to keep on plugging along until we, we get it to where we want it. Um, So y'all collaborated on a couple of articles now. I mean, big, big articles, you know, when it came out, uh, the role of recess, the crucial role of recess. That was a big article uh, that came out in 2010. And uh, if you could give a little bit of, you know, background on that one and then move to the 2017 article on time to play, I think, you know, there were seven years between, but it was, there were some critical things that have been happening during that time. And I think even some more negative shifts that were happening between 2010 and 2017 could y'all address those and, you know, you can kind of go back and forth and what, whatever y'all want to do, but I'd love for you to talk about them. Well, you know, when we first started, Kathy and I, our perspective was pretty much recess as physical activity and it was very exercise focused. But um, as we started to look at the literature and go back and forth and talk, we realized that it was much, much more complex and that there are many, many more pieces of what recess did for child development. And so that that was an extraordinary learning thing for me personally and got me looking much more closely at the things we do well and the things we don't do well in terms of child development to optimize their experience. So uh, recess took on a much, much bigger breadth at that point as we started writing. And, and I, would, I would echo that very much. And we were, we, we went in with this lens of, we want to affect and impact the obesity crisis. And at the time when we started doing this work, um, this is pre anything with the CDC and the recess framework. And at that point, the Institutes of Medicine and the CDC defined recess in the States as a elementary school experience. So our, our research was also very focused on the recess experience in elementary schools. We, we basically stumbled into work by Pellegrini that led us to say, oh my gosh, it's happening so differently in other countries in 2010. We, we weren't quite as global in our perspective. Well, we weren't global at all in our perspective um, at the time. And I, so when we published in 2010, that was the piece that was published in Journal School Health. That became our launching pad for the AAP policy statement. And I'll never forget, Bob looked at me in 2010 when we were so excited that we finally got published. It was going it's actually live and actually in a physical copy of the Journal of School Health. And he, he said, I think we should take this to the American Academy of Pediatrics, but just be ready. It's going to take a couple years. And I did not believe him. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. He was not kidding. <laughs> it was interesting, though, Debbie, when we we started out with that perspective on obesity and when you get to the point of actually publishing the crucial role of recess, obesity was a a small piece of it. 
because the other things that Kathy mentioned, Pellegrini and the stuff of social emotional development and executive function development, those were just overwhelming. Um, so it, it became a much um, a, a much more pediatric focus than just the the old calories in calories out kind of perspective that everybody starts with with obesity. I think the other thing that happened as we were looking at the work, we were very intentional in our initial research uh, about getting to works that were focused on recess to the point that we somewhat took the play research and pushed it to the side because recess and play weren't quite as directly linked in the research that was available at the time. Um, it's where we found Jarrett's work. So Jarrett's seminal piece in Atlanta when Atlanta had canceled recess across their whole school district and uh, Olga was given permission, um, Dr. Jarrett, with her team to actually have the kids be their own controls. A seminal work on the value of recess for an educator, for the experience of teachers and students in the classroom pre and post recess. I mean, just seminal, it still stands. It's one, it's, it will be very hard to replicate in its way, you know? Um, so I think that was powerful and the value of recess in the classroom environment post recess was, was something that we didn't expect to find. And we found, um, and it had, that work has since been replicated by you and your team at Link. You've been able to demonstrate the impact of recess in the learning environment and the learning experience of teachers and students. Um, and the other work was by, you know, Borkland and Brown around the way that our brains work, but that has been built on in the past 20, well, not 20, 13 years. Um, that idea of the way that we lay down memories and what we've, you know, we, we call it a cognitive immaturity hypothesis. It still exists. We just have a lot more hard data and evidence to show why that is happening, why things don't lay down right away, why we need to have breaks before we can really take something from a little gem to process and store it in our memory long term. So yeah. I think, you know, the, the work that y'all have done definitely has been the basis for my work in what I've done, right? I mean, I, I, I quoted y'all's articles every time I do something, y'all are in them uh, with, with what we do with Link. But I think the bigger picture for y'all, and you, you've been talking about it, is that it's trying to shift the way we think about recess first, not necessarily play, but just are we allowing kids to have breaks to be able to do what is so natural to their bodies to do and is developmentally appropriate so that they can become healthy children and adults. And if, if we don't get that when they're kids, they're not going to have those developmental skills to be that when they're adults, right? Right. So we, we get ourselves in this perpetual negative place with that. And I'm, I'm disappointed in the past, um, 20 years that we haven't moved the needle any more than we have. But if, if y'all were to talk right now about just two, two main points each, or, you know, share the points, whatever, whatever you think. But I was thinking if you had two main points that you wanted to share with the audience about the health of our children or not, you know, where, where are we on that and the importance of recess in their lives what, what would you say those two points were? Or if, if you want to give more, that's fine. I'm just, I'm, you know, 
trying to get each of you to be able to give a, a side to that, what you think they are and um, that would help kids be healthier. I don't think, I don't think I've come across an adult when I've talked about recess who doesn't light up and, and remember what recess meant to them. So I never had to really convince adults that recess was important. But part of the problem we've got with both play, the word play, and the word recess is that we devalue what's going on behind those words. And, and we, it almost is a synonym for frivolous in a lot of adults' minds. And so what I've tried to do is give um, adults a sense of what they do because they do recess we, we all do recess every day. We're, work, we're working, we're concentrating, we're moving along, and then we stop and we get up and we get a coffee and we talk to our, our uh, you know, cube mates and we do a couple of minutes of Pinterest or something, and then we come back. And kids can't do that. It actually has to be built into the day. And, and this is where I think we get in trouble. Recess is kind of dismissed and therefore it isn't as important as academic time. And what, <clears throat> what Kathy and I have really tried in the first iteration of crucial, crucial role of recess is get across that this is much, much more important than just going out on the playground and playing jump rope. Um, so I, I think the first thing is to get the adults in a mindset where they understand what it feels like to have work layered and layered and layered on them. And, and what, what that translates as is cramming working memory. You know, you have your memory and your, you have new information that teacher's given you and your job is to try and sift through your experiences and what you know and connect that together. And, and that's an active working immediate thing. But if you just layer more information on it, the original stuff is just lost and they never make a memory out of it. I, I think the, uh, the other part of that is that it, when we think of recess as a frivolous and play, play as just playful, frivolous, um, kids like it. And it's been used as currency by teachers. Um, and, and it also, I think, devalues not only the, the importance of connecting with our peers, which is something that happens at recess and through play, um, and, and that, that ability to practice social skills, um, it, it, the ability to create and imagine, um, those are essential skills in life. Collaboration and innovation come from creativity and play and connectedness. Um, but because kids like it and teachers take it away, right? I mean, it's, and even with policies in place that say this is a frowned upon practice, it still happens. And we, we anecdotally, and now we have research that demonstrates it does happen. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, there's not like 30,000 30, students in a study that show us it happens, but we have smaller studies that show that it happens qualitatively and quantitatively. And then for the most part in the States, by, if, if a kid still has a recess or a break time, by the time they're in eighth grade, it is an, a very unusual occurrence. And just getting four minutes to change classes in between, you know, four minutes break in between classes to rush to your locker at the high school level is not a recess break. It's 
the way, the way we play, I'm going to think about Posse Salberg's types of play and Stuart Brown's, the way that we engage in different kinds of play does evolve with our age. I mean, as an adult, I might like to do jump rope, but I probably don't like to do jump rope as much with my bunyany feet and my hip replacement. So I might have to do something else than do jump rope. But <laughs> I just said bunyany feet on a podcast because <laughs> uh, they're bothering me today. So I'm not going to jump rope today, but I, I might like to go for a bike ride or a walk or just, you know, be, be with my friends hanging out. You know, I think we undervalue this connection that occurs through free time and play that also allows the memories that are in our brain to make connections that are happening in our lives. Right. Um, so you asked about the health of our children. I think the other piece that, Bob talked about was that layering on of work and layering on and cramming of work. We wouldn't do that to ourselves, but we expect a six-year-old to go sit in a chair and go potty only when they're being told to go potty and get a drink only when they're told they can get a drink. And the rest of the time, just keep sitting there until I tell you, you can stand up. I, I mean, that is, that's, 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 ill-advised for physical health. I mean, if we know we need to be moving every 15 minutes, we know that over the duration of the day, we're better off to move every hour a little bit than we are just to have an hour of movement all collected. We know for the health markers, that's going to be beneficial for us. But we expect a six-year-old to sit still for six hours. Um, so I think our, there's, there are things in place that are really undermining the overall health of our children. And then we're layering stress on because they can't remember things and they have to perform on a test. Um, I don't want to sound all too negative because I think our schools do have great value and are doing good things, but there is so much that is broken. Well, and what y'all are saying is it's all very, very true, right? Right. Everything about this is true. And, and our adults, can't stop long enough to say, well, let me rephrase. The adults in the schools do know the importance of recess and do believe in the importance of recess, right? Mm -hmm. The problem that we're seeing is that the state and federal funding is tied to a score. And so they are threatened by this connection of a standardized test score and the funding that's going to come. And if they aren't producing, then what's going to go? It's going to be recess. But, you know, we're on this topic, which I think is, I want to stay with this, you know, with whether indoors or outdoors, structured or unstructured, um, how many times should we do it a day? And y'all know my research is all on this, right. but from y'all's perspective, you know, because of the ease of things, sometimes people say, well, I can get as much out of doing Go Noodle in the classroom as I can going outside where the transition is harder and they're going to, you know, they might get in trouble, but I can just do this contained piece and won't that be as good as going outside? Um, what's better for our health? And I'm, I'm asking y'all to, to tell me what you think on this on these terms of recess. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a real interesting peace is what you get out of recess. And, and I think both of those recess and phys ed, frankly, and these little brain breaks where they do a dance sequence at the end of the hour, I think all of those play to 
um, helping the child in terms of health, mental health, and academic success. One of the things that we have tried to stress is that it's not the quantity of minutes that you're putting into reading or math, but it's the quality, you know, it's, and you can think of that in terms of a musician practicing piano or a, an athlete practicing, you can just do it and do it until you're so sloppy, you can't, you know, you can't get anything out of it. You want right. to do it well, and then you want to take a break and allow that to be uh, kind of inculcated into memory and, and, uh, and that's really what these these different breaks do. Um, so I, I think part of it is that we've got an opportunity to use these breaks for academic purposes that also meet the child's physical health needs and even probably most importantly in school, the mental health needs. Uh, De-stressing uh, is so important for kids um, that we've just got to pay better attention to their mental health and allow them to de-stress regularly throughout the day. A hundred percent. I agree with that. The de-stressing is, um, you know, if your limbic system is all a, a wonk, it's not going to be able to take in any new information and process it in any way. But I think I want to, I want to kind of reiterate and clarify what Bob is saying about these are all important breaks, but they are each uniquely different. Mm -hmm. PE is not a replacement for recess and, and vice versa. The breaks in the classroom with go noodle or whatever the cross crawls might be, certainly they should be done, quite frankly. Every hour you should be doing that. Or if you're changing topics and you've done something really difficult and you see your kids glassing over, get them up and do jumping jacks or do the worm on the floor let them walk around the classroom, let them just stand up for crying out loud. But recess is unique to all of those things. And one very important thing that I think is really critical for development as human beings, it's agency and autonomy. And the idea that I am going to be able to do something different than the three of you when I take my break. I'm going to go sit in the corner over here and just get away from everybody because I don't want to be around another human right now. And I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. Or maybe Bob is going to go out and shoot hoops because, you know, he's going to work on his vertical because he's, you know, six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, or you're going to go chat with your friends or you get a choice to do something that you want to do. Which, which leads to what do you do at recess? You have to provide opportunities. You have to provide a variety of places and spaces where children and students and, and adolescents can, and can play. And again, as children age, as their development you know, as it occurs and they can do more things and want to do different things, we have to provide different spaces and different apparatus. And you know, certainly that great big pirate ship that kids can climb on is, is really fun to go to once or twice but when you're 15, it's cool to sit on it, you know, <laughs> if not. So I think they're all, they are all essential components to the way that we can better support the total overall holistic growth and development, well-rounded education we're supposed to be providing our, our students in this country. You know, Debbie, you mentioned structured and unstructured, you know, free play versus uh, organized play. And I, I think one of the things that I learned personally from the work that Kathy and I came across as we did the research was 
In terms of those executive functions that Kathy mentioned before, where you learn to control your emotions, you learn to work on a team, you learn to communicate, you know, you, you can do all these things uh, successfully in life. You can get different types of executive functions emphasized in free play or in structured play. If I take a kid with hyperactivity, for example, and I put him on a team in a kickball game, he has to play by the rules. He has to wait his turn. He has to learn to work cooperatively with his teammates. And for that kid, that's an enormous learning experience. But other kids, you know, as, uh, as Kathy said, on that same day, there might be a little girl who lost her dog and she just wants to be left alone. And, and we've got to have the capacity to let the children self-direct what they need to de-stress. That's something that adults, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Adults have got to give them that latitude. You know, from a social-emotional perspective, what I really love about the outdoors and the recess piece, if it is more child-directed, is if you think about a school day and the amount of time they're able to socialize with their peers um, it's very little because they come in from the bus where they're supposed to be more quiet. They come into the hallways. There should be zero noise level, zero in the, you know, or, or limited noise in the cafeteria, limited in the bathroom, limited in the classroom. Where do they have space? It's not a wonder to me why they're on texting with their phones because it's the only kind of communication they really can practice more than what they do with um, school time. And so when they're out at recess, I think one of the, the most positive things I see is that they are with, let's say there are four classes of their third grade class, four of those third grade classes that go out to recess and they're all out there at the same time versus they go out whenever they think the children need it and they may be there at different times. What I love about that is that the kids actually are getting to socialize with other kids outside of their class that they may not know as well, they may do better with, and they're able to really learn from many different skill sets, right? right. So y'all have any ideas or thoughts on that as well? Or, you know, I just, I think that's a fascinating piece is that if you can go out in the child-directed way, they're able to really span across a lot more students or children than, than if they're in a more structured design where it's, you know, only that game with everybody in their places and doing what they do. That really is a great way to, if you think about what the student can get out of recess. Um, if my best friend is in another same grade, but in another classroom, and we come out together at recess, I, that's going to de-stress me more than almost anything else, because there's my best friend, we make that connection. And, and those little groups, I think, are very protective for the kids, you know, there may be bullies and other things going around, but when you're in your group, you've got, you've got some buffer there. Um, so I think there's a real I think that shouldn't be minimized at all. Debbie, that's a very important piece, connecting with other kids to create those groups around you. Yeah, I agree. I agree very much. And I think the other piece that is um, 
important is this, do, to put that many children out in a space or it, even if it has to be indoors, but ideally they're outside and they're choosing the space they're going to on the outdoor space is that the, the people who are monitoring the play are not directing the play. Um, I th- you know, supervision is different than monitoring. Um, it's like being a lifeguard, not on your cell phone lifeguard, but I mean, being a lifeguard, the lifeguard is in the chair monitoring what's happening in the pool. They're not telling the kids, okay, now you take, you know, you jump here and you jump there and you swim there. They're watching where people are going in the pool. And I think if we, as the adults who monitor recess can start to think of ourselves more as lifeguards and less as directive supervisors and also conversely paying attention lifeguards you know not just all you know coffee clutching and talking about what happened last weekend and and then having enough monitors to really monitor the number of students on the space um which is uh, i'm going to give a little plug here for the link project um which is what i really love about the link model in the schools that are doing link is that the teachers are the ones that are out there, and but they are not just watching their own class. They're watching all the students out there. They're monitoring, they're moving around. And they, the, I think that not only is that beautiful for the number of monitors, for the number of students who are out there, you know, you've already addressed, we don't have enough monitors because you do have enough monitors. But I think the other real beautiful thing as an educator and as the person who's um, supposed to assess these students, both formatively and summatively, is there's an opportunity to observe these students in an environment that is not as stressful, right? And that is, they can observe them collaborate and create and be, you know, even be empathic with one another. If somebody falls down, who's the first one to run over and get the, pick the kid up off the ground? Sometimes it's the kid that's bugging you the most in the classroom. It's the one who's the first to pick up their buddy off the ground, you know? So I think that's the other beautiful thing about multiple stu- students from multiple classes on the playground or the play area or the break space at the same time with teachers as monitors. And if that's not possible, it's regular monitors who understand and know the students who are part of a paraprofessional or paraeducator team who are able to recognize that, hey, Bob's having a bad day and, you know, or hey, Debbie needs to go be by herself over here, you know, like, because you can't just have anybody monitor. I mean, that's what happens when that, that can be a real drawback to recess is that there's somebody who doesn't really understand the kids or what their role is as a monitor. And I think both of you have stressed this to me, and I, I really um, took it away as a, a thinking point, is that the monitor needs to understand the developmental level of the children that they're monitoring. Um, yep. You know, we've talked about risk, and kids like to take risk when they play. And the monitor needs to know what is normal rough and tumble play? What is normal and acceptable uh, risk taking? What you know? What what can kids do at that age group, and uh, and kind of learn where the trouble comes rather than just blanket assuming that every little wrestling match is a is a real adversarial struggle rather than just goofing around. Yeah, I I totally agree, especially with the. Uh if you know the kids well enough, you know, when they're angry look or their aggressive look or, you know, whatever, it's like, I'm fixing to haul off. It, you know, you can tell that in most instances when it's really becoming more agitated than it is a, just a happy, Hey, I'm just 
playing around here, right? Right. Or if you hear a student say, no, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do this. And the other one keeps going, you know, it's time to have a lesson there. Let's stop and let's talk about, hey, this, this child just said no to you and you didn't listen. You just kept going like, oh, they don't mean it. No, they do. <laughs> let's talk about that later in life too. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> That's a big 15 one. years old. <laughs> I know. Well, I really enjoyed this particular segment of the podcast, and, and we're going to be joined together again on, on a different podcast later. But, um, you know, it's it's enjoyable to get to talk to the, the two of you, very prestigious people out there who have put some awesome things together in, in the two articles that you've done around recess and um, the benefits and the, the importance of it. So I appreciate your views and, and your thoughts on this this topic. And I look forward to uh, more more conversations with you in the future. Thank you both. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks, really appreciate it. And as always, take care, have a great week, and play often. This podcast was brought to you by the Link Center for Healthy Play at Texas Christian University. To learn more about the Link Center and the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at www.link.com project.tcu.edu.